Mansell with HJ Sports, and today we're going to go over our new sites within the Tetra line for 2022. So new for 2022, we actually came out with a new way to mount your scope housing to the infinite adjust bracket. No longer do you have to worry about your vertical adjustments uh, intertwining with the second axis adjustments. So as you'll see on the scope housing, uh, there's actually an additional brick. You can either mount that to the inside of the riser or to the outside of the riser. We recommend that for most traditional bows, you mount that to the inside of the riser and for any sort of sight that you're gonna mount in line with the bow to use the outside. Just flip that around um, and mount it to the outside of the riser. So within each of the product categories, we have the Tetra Max, the Tetra, and then the Tetra LT. As always, our Tetra line of sights come in four different scope housing size options, an inch and three eighths, an inch and five eighths, an inch and three quarters, and then also our four pin housing, which is an inch and three quarters. We also offer a 10 thousandths pin and a 19 thousandths pin for both single pin and four pin options. On the Tetra itself, we once again have micro adjustments as well as your macro gain adjustments for left and right. For your vertical adjustments on your Tetra bow sight, you'll want to use the screw right here on the infinite adjust rail and the screw below that. You'll just loosen those and slide it up and down. Another key feature on the 2022 Tetra bow sight is the integrated scope ring that has a built-in level. Another key feature on the 2022 Tetra site is the ability to take a 2500 blue burst light. This is an added on accessory, but you can actually put that on there to add light to your pin or to reduce light. With that, we also have mechanical rheostat, which is an exclusive feature to HHA on the Tetra line. You'll be able to turn in the rheostat if you want to dim the light, and then you'll also be able to turn it out if you want to let more light in. Also on our 2022 Tetra line bow sights, the Tetra comes in either a fixed frame, our Hunter Edition frame, or it comes on a four to eight inch adjustable dovetail. All HHA products are 100% made and sourced in the USA, and they carry a 100% lifetime warranty. For any more questions, please visit our website at www.hjsports.com. Hello, we're at the ATA show at uh, Veteran Innovative Products, uh, an all-American made and manufactured broadhead. So we've got a new one for 2020 called the Combat Veteran 4-Blade. As you can see, 4-Blades got a lot of the same high-quality materials we used with our original 2-Blade Veteran, but the Combat Veteran has a different deployment system. How it deploys is you just squeeze a little bit on your main blades, okay, those compress, and then the broadhead opens. It still has our momentum management compressible blade technology. So the the cutting diameter is inch and a quarter by two inches on this when deployed. Uh, in flight, it's one inch by inch and a quarter. Another feature we added this year with these heads uh, is that you can exchange the bone breaching field point tip with a 125 grain setup if you would like. So swap the tip out, get you 125 grains instead of 100, which is big with those Western hunters. And then it's really simple to lock back in place, roll those blades up, and then it's a click and another click on the other side. It's completely set in, will not prematurely deploy, will not rattle free, solid containment, 100% deployment every time. So we've made a lot of good adjustments and refinements to it to make sure that it's guaranteed to deploy every single time. So that's what's new for VIP this year. 
Welcome back, guys. This podcast is brought to you by RPG Coffee Company, a veteran-owned and operated socially responsible coffee company born to support members of the military, law enforcement, and firefighting communities by donating 50% of their profits. The true secret to living is giving. And don't forget to join the RPG Coffee Club today. Don't wait until you run out. Stay ready to rock by having RPG Coffee delivered straight to your door each month with our coffee club. Folks, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Bucks of America podcast. I am your host, Jeff Vance. Tonight's guest is TJ Johnson. Now, we have been battling schedules to get this thing to happen. We finally put two and two together. Good thing he's got several hours on the road where it's just the two of us. So it's going to help us help him get everything done and make the drive go a little bit smoother. That is a nice thing about recording podcasts on the run that makes thing makes that drive go a little bit quicker. Now, TJ is a powerhouse. He hunts turkeys. He hunts whitetail. He's has a nice uh, selection of memories that he has on his wall. So I'm going to let TJ take it off here. Now he is also part of the uh, Appalachian change group. So most of you all have heard Mike on my podcast several times already. And he's by far the number one episode that I've ever had on my podcast. So much obliged to everybody on that. But I am going to let TJ talk about himself. I'm talking, let him break down how he became the accomplished hunter he is now and where he's at and how he's gotten to this point. So TJ, why don't you go ahead and give us, tell us who you are. Uh, yeah, I guess you said it. Uh, TJ Johnson, um, located in the eastern shore of Maryland. Um, I have a few leases there, and I also hunt in Ohio, southeast Ohio as well, where I have three leases. And um, I've just really been blessed over the past few years to uh, you know, buy my home farm of 124 acres that I'm able to manage the whitetails. And I'm just uh, surrounded by big ag and big woods. Um, and everybody around us uh, manages their deer as well. So um, we're, we're able to grow bigger deer right now because of the, what the neighbors are doing just as well as what I'm doing. And we're just letting the, you know, the small eights and small tens walk and, and just allowing them, giving them those years that they need to grow. Uh, same thing in Ohio. Um, I just seen my neighbor yesterday at Tractor Supply while I was in town. And uh, he'd come over there and talk to me and was asking if I found any sheds, and uh, which I didn't because he knows that all the deer stay over on his land. But they just end up making their way over to me uh, on the fall. So. Okay. What, uh, when did you get started in, into the outdoors? What was your first uh, memories? Um, so I was uh, 10 years old. I was uh, actually, um, I lived in Ohio at that time with my mom and uh, I took hunter safety course um, right there in the same town that I still hunt today. And uh, our first day out um, after I passed my hunter safety course, uh, everybody laughs at me to this day. Uh, we, uh, we did deer drives up there and um, at the end of the day, I had to kill nothing. So we walked out back of actually uh, Mikey Russell's parents barn and we looked down over the hill and there was uh, two deer standing there. It was a butt buck and a doe and uh, I aimed at the heart and I hit the deer right in the head <laughs> and uh, it, it dropped in a pile and um, 
needless to say, everybody was laughing at me. And then about a year or two later, we were doing the same thing during muzzle loader season. Uh, same exact thing. I was aimed for the heart with the muzzle loader and hit it in the head. And uh, they'll never let me live those those moments down. Well, at least you got to capitalize on the maximum amount of meat. That is that is quite the uh, the story right there. So, how long have you and Mikey known each other? Uh, say that again. I'm sorry. How long have you and Mikey known each other? Oh, I mean, we're we're cousins. We we grew up together. So, oh, uh, that's yeah, right. So from from diapers. So uh, you know, when I lived in Ohio, we always were hanging out, playing together, football, um, over at grandparents' house. Uh, he spent a lot of time with me out on the golf course that my mom used to work at. Um, almost more like brothers than cousins. That is always a good relationship to have in that aspect. So that's pretty cool that you guys have been able to stick together for so long. So do you guys have any, you have any embarrassing stories about Mikey? Oh, uh, yes. The golf <laughs> course. Um, oh, yeah? oh, man. He, uh, he was, he's a couple years younger than me. And we were golfing one day, and um, I was off to the side. You're, I mean, you're supposed to not be standing in front of somebody when they're trying to hit the ball. But I was off to the side. I'm like, yeah, I got plenty of room. You know, he's not going to hit me. Well, he <laughs> ended up hitting the, hitting that ball off the toe of the club, and it shot over and hit me dead center of the back. And Ooh. I'm talking about a pain that I can't describe. And uh, I took off, and he took off running because he knew I was coming after him. And I chased his ass to Pardon my language. I chased his ass down that hill when I tried to throw a golf ball at him, and I missed. Uh, and uh, we still laugh about that till this day. Oh man, that is ooh, yeah. I've 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 never had any horror stories such like that in a tee box. But you know, I've seen uh, guys hit it off the toe and they hit the oh the tee box like they have, like depending on what the course uses for the tee box. Like a lot of places that I've I've, I've golfed at, this use like a piece of a four by four. And they just yeah. paint it certain colors, like blue, white, and whatever, whatever the distances are. I've seen people hit off the toe and just hit it, hit that little uh, tee box, and go straight up in the air, straight down. It's like, well, that's one for you. Yeah, yeah. Have, it was, uh, it, it was one of those things that would have won America's Honey uh, Home Videos if, if that was caught on camera. Oh so. man, yeah, that would have that would have definitely made it on that show. Yeah. Nowadays, it's like everybody's recording everything because you never know what's going to hit big on YouTube or in a, or you're having the uh, video pop up on ridiculousness. Right. That uh, that show is just so well put together. It's like they only do like 23 minutes of it. And they can bang out an entire week's worth of episodes in three days. I've listened to a few of those interviews where they talk about the workload and how they manage everything. And it's like, that's pretty reasonable. It's, that's get paid pretty well and don't have to work a whole lot to get up to produce all the content you need for that week. Now you guys are getting into video too. Now, are you doing the video or what's, or what are you doing for the group? Yeah, I do. Um, I do a lot of video. I got, I've got the cameras, um, tripods, the arms and all that. Um, a lot of the guys, I, I, I love them to death, but I don't feel like they put in the effort. Um, but I'm trying to video stuff and send it to Mike and, and, uh, capture every bit of my, hunt you know when i'm traveling and stuff i do uh recordings while i'm driving you know i do a pre-hunt recording you know once i get the stand um and then you know i i shoot throughout the whole day to get b-roll and and then uh you know if if it's time to seal the deal then you know i try to get all that on camera as well 
That is, that is so. So you're pretty much the main photographer because I've only talked to you and Mike so far. The other guys in the team, I haven't set up uh, a time to chat yet. But it sounds like you got a lot on your plate then, because you do a lot of driving. Because you're right now on your way back from Ohio back to Maryland. So how far of a drive is that yeah. for you? It's about eight hours if I can drive it straight through. Um, the winter months kill me because it gets darker a lot, a lot earlier. And at, once it gets dark, it just puts me to sleep. And uh, I, I make this trip about right now. I'm still getting my food plots and stuff squared away. I just planted beans and uh, cow peas up there on uh, two of my leases this this weekend. Um, I sprayed uh, I sprayed the uh, full potential from uh, from Buck Fever Seed Company. I got that on there to give them a good boost. And then I went ahead and sprayed weeds one more time before everything started coming up. I'll head back in two more weeks and, uh, and fertilize and, and then uh, plant my other property. Damn, man. That's a lot of driving. I mean, that's 16 hours in one trip, man. That's, that's dedication, dude. Yeah. I mean, during hunting season, I mean, it's, it's nothing for me to be up here every week. You know, I'm, I'm hoping this year, well, what's good about Ohio is you're only allowed one buck window. Um, okay. So I am hoping that uh, I can seal the deal early. Um, I, I have good luck in Maryland uh, early season just because there's nobody else in the woods. It's still hot. They're not pressured. They're still under summer, you know, food patterns. Um, Ohio, it doesn't start till like the end of September, like the 23rd or 24th. But they're usually still on their food patterns. So I'm hoping to seal the deal early this year because it was January 31st. And I literally made that trip every single week back and forth to Ohio uh, just to hunt one day or two days. And I about killed myself. Yeah, you did. Worn out. Yeah, that's a lot of driving. It's like, it's, it's especially when you're driving back by yourself. Like I used to do that. You should drive only an hour. I thought that was a lot of work to do just because. Of the amount of time, because it's like you get you get up at three, four o'clock in the morning to get out there before sunrise. For me, at least, this is my 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 explanation for it. But then you're sitting all day long in the in that in that uh, environment. Then you gotta make the drive back, and that's that's it takes a lot. It could, even one hour's a lot, but just you for doing it for eight hours one way, eight hours back. It's like damn, dude. And it's like especially the gave the way the gas prices are. It's like you must be bloated to be able to be holding this stuff up. <laughs> Uh, I've been blessed with, with my, with my company, man. It's, uh, um, never dreamt of anything like this. Um, but I, I've been blessed beyond measure. Uh, now, COVID, COVID yeah. was the real, uh, kicker for us. I mean, everybody wanted a swimming pool. So, um, that's, you know, people stopped going on vacation. So they started using that money in their backyards and things really took off for me. And, uh, I just built a company around, around that. I got, uh, 21 employees now. Uh, do our own construction pools pool houses we do our own pavers and hardscape landscaping uh lighting 3d design um and i just bought my brought my own electrician on full-time too uh just to keep up with our workload that's so, awesome congratulations that's a big milestone no is this is this is your own baby then that you that you built yeah i've been in business uh, about six years and okay. uh i just started out mowing yards and um Next thing I knew, it came to fall, and people were 
do you want to clean up my yard and do you want to mulch and you want to do this and you want to do that? And I just always said yes. Like I never turned anything down. <clears throat> and then um, that following spring, I had a customer come to me and say, hey, you want, I need a paver walkway put in. Can you do that? And I said yes. And uh, one of my best friends growing up, he, he has a very successful landscape company too. And um, he, he guided me and showed me the ropes on how to do that. And I did one paver job. And the next thing I know, it just led into the next one and the next one and the next one. That's awesome. Um, that is fantastic. Couple, yeah. yeah, a couple of my buddies, they, they're the ones that pushed me into the pools because we're all mid-30s and got families. And they're like, hey, you know, we're getting ready to put pools in for our families. Have you ever, you know, considered doing the pool? Because I'd hate to spend my money elsewhere when, you know, you're going to do everything else. So um, I went away to Indiana and Tennessee for training and uh, I came back and I trained under another pool builder for a year. That was a good friend of mine. And uh, after that, that's when COVID took off. And I was, you know, now I'm putting in 50, 60, 70 pools a year. Wow. That's a lot. And you're, you're talking in a very small window too, because it's like you, you guys still get snow out there in Maryland. Yeah. People think that uh, you can't put pools in in the winter, but we, we put just many pools in in the winter as we do during the you know the good season. Really? Do we you... don't we don't get a hard a hard freeze. I mean, we we get cold, but I mean, if you think about it and you think about the physics of things, once you get down, you know, at, with the excavator, once you get down a few inches, you're below whatever's frozen. So the ground's still diggable and, and, and workable. Oh, all right. See, being here in the Midwest, up here in, in Iowa, Minnesota, once it once it gets that deep, deep, hard cold, and like anything that needs to be dug, gets it just stops until until uh, until it warms up again, until they're able to get past that that frost level. Man, that's I didn't know it. it, it, it I understand it got cold, but didn't know it didn't get that cold that deep in the soil. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't even it doesn't really affect us. Like um, January, February is like our worst two months. So even then, we, we're still putting in pools um, just because we don't get that deep freeze like you guys do. Oh, that's nice. That is very convenient. And, dude, that's freaking awesome, man. You're able to make that all happen uh, with yep. that whole whole process because it's, it's amazing how doing a landscaping business can really blossom. It, it is definitely a sleeper uh, industry because it's like you can, you can get one, one yard and you do really well in that one one owner tells five of two or three of his, and it's like that can really grow rather rapidly where you're doing multiple yards yeah. a week and just kind of scales from that. It's very scalable. Yeah, exactly. And the sky's the limit. I mean, if you go as big as you want, you can stay as small as you want. Um, but nowadays, it's like it, I, I always talk about this, I always talk about my childhood and stuff. It's like I never remember being as busy as everybody is when I was a kid. You know, I had soccer practice, I had baseball, I had this, but it wasn't like every single night I was going somewhere. I Correct. feel like everybody nowadays is just so busy that they don't have time to take care of their own stuff. And they'd rather just pay somebody to come in and just do it for them. Versus, you know, 10, 20 years ago, a lot of people did stuff themselves because they had the time. Mm -hmm. It seems like times have changed. It all depends on to who your clientele is. Cause considering like 20 years ago, like you got the, an average guy that well, let's say, let's put the, the average age at 30 Add 20 years to they're in the, now they're in their fifties. So now they're older. They have a lot more things prioritized. Their kids are probably much older. They have a little more money. 
and uh, they've already gone through a couple recessions, so they know how to to, to navigate the the down the the planned um, downturns in in the in environment, the economics of it all. So, so what does your average age of your client tell them? You, it's all over. I mean, it, I would say mid thirties on up to after retirement. Okay. Um, just you know, m- most of it is. Uh, and I mean this in the most humble way. Most people who, in order to be able to afford what I do, has to, you know, have a good, a good career. Yes. Um, because, you know, a swimming pool, an average swimming pool start to finish just the bare minimum. You're talking like $70,000. Holy shit. Um, yeah. And not everybody has that. You know what I mean? And, yeah. Uh, valid. Very um, true. But, uh, but, but what's happening right now, which is good, is. Um, the, with the housing market and everything being crazy, people are cashing in on the home, the home equity that they have because they'll get an appraisal now and, you know, it'll appraise for way more than really what it's worth. So people are taking out a lot of home equity loans to get this stuff done while the market's still up. Yeah. The downside, we're, we're I've talked to, a, I know I've been paying attention to some of the big market money, like Chris Crone, Dan Pena, like these guys are, have, Tens of millions of dollars in the bank, if not billions. I think Dan Pena is close to several billion dollars in the bank. But he's he's already talking like this right now. That in 2022 is our 2006. So the bubble's going to burst here over the next like 18 to 24 months. So that's what we got to be afraid of because you're 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 high in the hog right now. So now you just got to put that money into something that's going to save that. Put it as an investment because already knows a lot of stuff that's on sale. For whether it be cryptocurrencies or whether it be stock uh, stock prices, this is the time to really like diversify to make sure you have a solid portfolio. So this way, then when when the market does crash, when we do bottom out, I just don't know how tragic this one's going to be because 2008 was pretty devastating, but it only fo- focused one area. Now with this right here, with uh, with uh, 2,000 mules coming out, watch the water. Uh, Bill Gates talking about multiple things. There's going to be a very interesting 2024, 2025. All depends on what kind of leadership we're going to have, or will the people rise, like wake up and start paying attention? Like our real problem is our senators and our House representatives because they're in there for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. Right. So, but anyways, you're absolutely right on that. And I mean, uh, I'm always looking at ways to have, have my money making me money elsewhere. Um, because you have to, you got to be prepared for the the next recession. You gotta you gotta be you know diversified. You can't keep all your eggs in one basket. Exactly. Um, um, so I, I I haven't even really let too many people know that. I can let people know now, I guess, because nobody knows the design. But I'm in the process of making a uh, a deer feeder. Um, I've got the mold and stuff being made right now, and uh, so that may be hitting the market this fall. And then uh, I also bought a, um, a la- the land right next to me, the two acres, and uh, it's right behind. It's right behind the biggest sports complex in our town, and I'm just going to make that a storage unit um, lot. Oh yeah. So I'm trying to take that money that I'm making now and just reinvest it and try to try to have stuff that's making me money that I don't have to have employees or uh, or anything like Overhead. that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Storage units are a sleeper too, because it's like it's it's better than real estate because you don't have to worry about buying selling leases or having high deductible to first and last month deposits. And it's like yeah. and two acres you can charge 
anywhere between. Uh, I, it's it's just ridiculous on how much space that you, how much space you can charge per first per square foot in that area. It's just amazing. And then on top of it too, we have uh, numerous amounts of shopcos and Kmart's on our business. So you have these massive buildings that are currently left empty. That is just trying to get with the the. Uh, county board and the, and the chamber of commerce to work with you but the worst part is though it's like when you're trying to deal with inside a larger economic area it's like well who do you have to grease to get the job done and it's there's so much corruption when it comes down to dealing with permits and dealing with the um the presidents and these of these organizations because there's a lot of people that need you need to you need to pay them to in order to build and that's the worst part you're like you're out in maryland so that's a lot of old money that's that area has been around for a long time so you gotta yeah you gotta make sure everything's above board and you almost gotta record everything too when it comes down to it maryland's a pain i could go to virginia and delaware and work i work in all three states and uh Delaware, you can walk in there and get your permit in one day, tell them what you want to do. Maryland, you might as well say three months before you're ever going to get a permit. They want to yank you around. They want to get you for money. They want this and that. It's uh, it's a pain in the ass, man. Oh, yeah. As soon as we get in government involved in these particular aspects of it all, it becomes that's where that's one that it's the you're dealing with the cartel because like, well, we can tell you what you can and cannot do. If you don't listen to us, we're going to come fuck you up. Uh, that's exactly kind of how it is around here i mean i i have i have issues uh with a couple of the inspectors and stuff and uh it's all about who you know and who how knows much you. you got yeah it's a, so. who knows you as well that's a big thing as well it's like who knows you and in, in enough places that's why like uh, epstein had so much uh dirt on so many different people and that's why the black book hasn't been uh, prosecuted yet right right so yeah you said you have 121 acres in Maryland. Then that's that's a pretty good uh, stake. Now, is that mostly uh, farmland or forest? No, so it's about uh, it's about 60 or not 60 woods, 30 field, and then uh, I bought a 33 acre cutover behind me. Okay. So I go down about a three quarter mile lane, um, and then it just opens up to about 30 acres cleared um i just put my home out there and the front the front probably 15 acres i i'm using for my livestock and, and my house and then uh the back the back 10 acres um 10 15 acres i i'm using for my food plots and trails and and fields and that type of stuff Oh, beautiful! Because you then you have the area to do your proving ground and testing your product. Then now your men mentioned with this. Now, is it legal in Maryland to bait? Then it is. Okay, um, but I'm in the process, and a couple of my properties are so small. Like I got one that one property that produces giants every year. It's only two acres. So if I didn't put food out, if I didn't put corn out on a two acre wooded lot, I would never see these deer. So you know, it's kind of a a love hate relationship. Um, do I want to hunt over bait? No, um, not all the time, but if it's, if it's what I have to do and that's that particular, you know, property, then that's what I'll do if it's legal, you know? Yeah. You might as well, you might as well take advantage of it because here in the Midwest, like Wisconsin, a lot of the state, a lot of the counties have lost their ability to bait. Minnesota, you can't bait at all. Iowa, you can't bait at all as well. And that's a that's the rough thing about it. It's like a lot of people have different moral qualms with the baiting, but it's like all you're doing is feeding them. And if you don't shoot them, you don't shoot them. But the best part is they're going to have food. And what we've learned with with the Sportsman Alliance and all the lawsuits they fight is that as soon as you start, as soon as the, the antis 
start chipping away your rights, that's some that's some of the stuff that goes. They go your goes goes your baiting rights. Uh, then it'll, then it'll go into food plots, and then it go into um, if you use uh, artificial or natural attractants like deer urine uh, and stuff like that. That then it'll go after that as well. So it's like everything they do to chip away from that, you got to fight because as soon as you start giving them inches, they're starting to look at taking the whole kit and caboodle. Yeah, because we don't want to end up like California. Nobody wants to end up like California. Right. And I mean, the thing for me is it, I would be all right if they did away with the baiting. Um, but it, where, where you can bait, if you're not baiting, then your neighbor is. So, you know what I mean? You're, you don't stand a chance because everybody else is baiting around you. So mm-hmm. if you don't, if you're not baiting, then you're, you're not going to do it unless you have big ag. Like my backfields, um, I'm going to have six acres of beans this year and I'm surrounded by 600 acres on one side. 550 acres on the other side and about a thousand behind me so i've got big woods and the closest ag is about a half mile away from from where my ag is so i'm going to attract deer you know and the the woods that's around me nobody can really get to because they'd have to come all the way through all three properties to get to where my fields are that's awesome this way keeps uh, keeps the trespassers off your land well, that and it just keeps the deer from being pressured because nobody goes that deep into their property. They can't get there without, you know, having to walk for an hour. Um, you know, they can ride their four wheelers or whatever. But by the time they did that, they done busted everything out of there. So what's the point? Yeah. Unless if you're always constantly back there. The only time I've ever had really good work with uh, I used to hunt in Minnesota. I had this farm that I hunt for years and it was not uncommon for the farmer to be out there on his tractors, four wheeler, and I never had an issue with it because the deer were used to it because he raised cattle, and so he where his cattle would be at stuff like that. He was always there with a tractor or a four wheeler, and so it really did phase them because they knew he was safe. It's just so it allowed me to work in the cover of darkness to get out there. So when they heard, when I, when he almost sometimes almost worked in my benefit because he'd up out there feeding cattle, and all of a sudden I have deer walking by. They're not running; they're just walking because. Well, the, the cattle are coming there. It's like our turn to move away and go off. And then I sit there in the field edge in the transition area. It's like, well, you're dead. Right. Yep. And the one thing I, I love about, you know, you know, bow hunting is there's not many people in the woods early season. Nobody really gets in the woods uh, where, you know, until mid-October um, and, you know, beginning of November. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I get all, I get, you know, I get everything to myself for probably a good uh, five weeks before, you know, I, I see the first person they've even hunt. That is the best part about it. That's why I like all bow hunting. Like I were the, the I hunt several bit different pieces of property that are public here in the area, but none of them get hit until the rut. That's it. And then I always and nobody goes out there. So it's like I've seen some some of my most some most my most fun interactions are eighty degree days, right when they're still walking from bedding to food back and forth, and I'm just sitting on a ground. I'm sitting in my ghost blind, or I'm sitting in the middle of nowhere, and just having them walk out. I've do, I've had does walk up with an eight. 11 yards of me and not have not even give me two shits don't even care yep it's just it's just crazy and like how the deer minds change and like and then once the, the seasons start changing it gets colder out and then it's like it's just it's their way of like their warning systems like well shit now there are gonna be more people out here that we don't normally smell or see yep oh uh, maryland has an early muzzleloader season it's usually mid-october at 14 15 16 something like that Okay. And then that's when everything starts changing. 
everybody will start coming to put corn out their week before, you know, muzzle loader, getting deer to start coming in. They're in there running their four wheelers, making scent, putting out new piles and uh, everything just changes at, at that moment until the rut. And then, you know, everything breaks back open again. Yeah, it's the thing, like the way where people say they have the, the October lull, and like I love hunting in October because it's like if I don't see anything, I'm not really. It's like I'm not angry because it's like I'm I'm out away from everything else. I don't know about you, but we're like we're in the bluff country here in Wisconsin. Depending on where you're setting that bluff, you can get zero service. So it's like it's just you in in the now. That's it. Like this weekend when I went out on a turkey hunt, didn't I called? I had decoys out, but they were just quiet, and I couldn't get anything to say hi to me at all. I've, I've scouted. I saw, I got pictures of hens just a matter of a few days before, but no toms, nothing, not even a beard of Jake. So it's like, well, I got to be by myself for several hours. I got to see some beautiful sunrises and sunsets. And I, when I'm out there, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not as, I don't take as many pictures. I like to be by myself, like be in the now. So I'm just kind of just out there walking around. Like there's one time I got bored and I was like, Oh, I'm going to go walking around. And I, I came across this beautiful meadow that was like, and I found a tree and I found a way to get out there and get in without being too much noise. And it's like, I found myself where I'm going to be setting up when, when deer season sets. And like, I got, I'll send you a picture of it. And when you see it, you'll, you'll absolutely appreciate why I went out there, look for it. So did you get it? Did you get a, have a chance to go a turkey hunt or you just been primarily focused on getting your properties and your leases set up out there in Ohio? I didn't go turkey hunting one time in Ohio this year. I went a couple of times in Maryland. Um, and I didn't even go, I went once for me, but I really took my right hand man to, at work. Uh, he wanted to kill a turkey and we had two dates, uh, I think one day last week, um, come, come into the decoys. Uh, but he, we were hunting from the ground without a blind and, uh, he was shaking like a leaf cause he had never killed one before. And, oh, okay. uh, okay. So he was shaking and, uh, they looked over and they seen him trying to get ready and draw and they took off. Um, so that was pretty much, you know, the end of the season because uh, it just went out today, actually, was the last day. We still have one more week. They, they, Minnesota and Wisconsin, they go all the way up until the end of May. For, for So pretty much, I think it's Sunday they'll end, or I'm not, not 100% sure if they're going to be open until the 31st for Monday. But I've hunted Memorial Day weekend in Minnesota, so it's like it's not the big deal. It's, it's warmer out, but. They're not as active. I've noticed that as we've gotten warmer here, it's I've seen less and less flocks out running around. But the early season in late March, they're everywhere. You can, no late April because I think it opens up April twentieth this year. They open open up April twentieth in, in twenty twenty two. I'm not sure what's going to open up for next year, but now I'm just kind of like more geared towards looking foraging, looking for ramps, uh, looking for uh, what is it. Morels now because we've had a couple of good days of a lot of moisture and such like was it last Thursday we had I think we went through three bouts of hail we had a tornado touchdown about 15 miles where I live right now so there's a lot of moisture and it's been cold all weekend we we probably maybe hit 60 so if we warm back up this week this next upcoming weekend they're gonna be popping up everywhere I've seen I've seen more pictures of ramps being sent to me than morels yeah that's cool. Yeah, I, I have a friend. I, I, I met a guy here last weekend at the HHA Mission 17, and uh, he had his name's Adam Lamb, and he has a beard balm and beard oil, and it's a skincare product, but it's it's called Wandering Sheep uh, Beard Butter. But there's a, the, the 
the positive side effect of this is, is that it really works well on tattoos. So if you ever, if you have tattoos and stuff like that, you, it works both both well both ways. And he gave me this up north stuff. It's uh, and it's got this cedar. It's got a woodsy smell to it. But the combination of everything put together, it actually uh, repels you no know, flies, other bugs, and stuff like that. He's done some experimenting with ticks, so he doesn't want to quite claim it repels ticks. But uh, he's had one on his arm. He's like, "Well, let's see what happens." So he just took a took it and made a circle on his forearm, and it kept it kept it walking around, but it never burrowed itself in. So it was quite interesting to see what it would might happen. So more experiments with that. But uh, that was a, a fun experiment with that. And he's also said like a lot of ladies like it because they don't make the the combination of essential oils he uses. It doesn't make your hands greasy. Like I noticed that that Sunday oh, when gotcha. I met him. Yeah, I, I hate. Yeah, I hate that greasy, oily feel. It, it, I just, I hate it. Yeah, and it's like he even says, "It's like you, you like." Well, what was happening on Sundays when I first met him? Uh, he gave me some and put some in my beard and stuff like that. It smelled really good. I mean, it, it produces a very pungent, or not a pungent, but a very fragrance, a very fun fragrance for a lot of people. It's very pleasant to the nostrils. And I didn't wash my hands. I just I was with Chris Ham from HHA and my buddy uh, Ben Klausman. We went out straight shooting, and him and I both got done putting that beard oil in our in our beards, and we went out shooting. I had no fears of letting go of my release or having a slip out of my hands, whether it be my bow or my release. So it's like it's it does what it tells you it will do. It will it, you will not have to worry about that stuff. And he also makes some stuff that's non scented as well. So this way, then you can put it in your beard, but you still keep. Keep your um, your moisture in your underneath your hair. Uh, keep that skin moisturized because if you don't, it, it creates its own dander. And that's one thing I've noticed. Like when people shoot big bucks, they they they, they keep their beards and they keep their um, skin moisturized because that dander from that dry skin can really set the nose off of a deer because it's very their nose is very uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for sensitive. Because it's right. very interesting. Um, I had a guy on my podcast here a while ago. Actually, his episode here a few weeks ago. His name is Brian Sparks. And he is a chemist. And it's like when he talks, I just shut up and listen. Because this guy is really, really intelligent. He's an engineer. He knows how to turn the lock and key on a deer's nose when it comes down to mock scrapes and all a bunch of other stuff. And I don't know. Are you, have you ever heard of Travis Bigger from Bigger Bucks Outdoor Outfitters in Illinois? I uh, have not. Oh, this guy has got like 8,000 acres in Illinois, puts people on big bucks and turkeys and all that fun stuff. And having the two of them on the podcast, it was the most intense bromance I've ever encountered. It was, it was absolutely hilarious because it's it, these guys were such good moods and the, the energy was flowing and chatting. It was awesome. It was amazing. Yeah, I think uh, me, you, and Mike should get on, on one sometime too. Oh yeah, I've been I've been talking to Mike about that. Well, Mike like snaps me pretty much like every couple of days. Like he was telling me like he took the kids to the uh, uh, the 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 zoo this year this yeah. weekend. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, um, and then uh, you know Buck Fever. I'm with those boys too out in Iowa. Uh, you know I don't know if you've ever talked to Jeff or not, but he uh, him and Billy and uh, Rick and a lot of a lot of boys out that way. I I think that they would be good for the podcast as well. That would be awesome. I, I haven't had any I haven't had any uh, seed companies on my podcast, so it's like I've never I don't use them, so it's, it's tough for me to give my own two cents on them. But I like when I have like you, TJ, giving me a recommendation, like hey, you should reach out to the guys and, and talk to them. But it, it'll always be good, like 
to have you on the podcast as well. So this way it kind of kind of eases them into it type of scenario where it is it makes it more fun because it's like you know them, they don't know me, but you know there's like we have a commonality between all of us. Yeah, and I mean I've been using I, I got up with them boys uh maybe a little over a year or two ago. Yeah um, through Mike and uh you know they're just good down home country country boys that love to hunt. But uh, the seed is, uh, I mean, he the way he packs it, he gets it out to you quickly. Um, he, he's got different blends that, you know, other people don't have. Um, okay. And he's always trying to, you know, trying new stuff, get new product. Like this year, he got the uh, the soil conditioner and, uh, and the plot boost um, as well. So, you know, now he's got the seed, plus he's got the, you know, the, the conditioner and the boost. So he's kind of making himself a, a one-stop shop. Smart. Um, sort of like my business, you know, nobody has to go anywhere else. You just shop with me and, you know, you get all the benefits from it. So Definitely. you don't have to deal with multiple vendors and, you know, and all mm-hmm. that. So where are these guys based out of then? Uh, you know? Iowa. Well, I'm, um, I'm from Iowa, so it's like I know the state pretty well. So Colfax uh, is where Jeff is at. Um, and then uh, Billy and Rick and all of them boys, they're all Iowa boys. So uh, I think Billy might be close to Des Moines. All right, that makes yeah. sense. And I, yeah, I was out there earlier this year for the uh, the Iowa Outdoor Classic. Um, I had a really good time. Met the guys from Midwest Whitetail. Um, and then Mikey's uh, favorite thing is that uh, golly, what's that mineral he uses? Aftershock. I seen. Uh, I got to meet that guy, and uh, he had a pretty cool booth. Okay. He, had the, he had the most uh, flamboyant booth. I'll put it like that. When you walk by, you, you know, people made he made he made people stop. So that is true. That is very true. I, it, they, they they do have an okay. So Colfax is just uh, off of um, I eighty there to the west or to the yeah to the east of uh, Des Moines. So all right then. Yeah, it's yeah. like I I used to live down south of there in in Centerville and stuff. That's where a lot of a lot of guys like to go down there and hunt and such. But uh, over in that area, like any the east side of I thirty five, it's it's a lot of good hunting ground there. If you go up towards Sioux City, on that area there, if it's brown, it's down type scenario. The, there's not much of a a population up there. Back about twenty thirteen, we we went through a series of I think it was like oh, let's see, put an example where I lived in Minnesota, it was ninety nine days below zero. And so, and so it really decimated the population out there. And a lot of that land out, out in that, uh, Northwestern part of Iowa is all farmland. There's not, not, not a lot of trees out there and it's very flat. It is rolling and stuff like that, but it doesn't have a lot of places where it can how, um, home or house deer to get them out of the elements. Cause when it gets cold and it gets wet, I mean, it just, it can kill a lot of deer rather rapidly. That's why a lot of people like hunting down in that South. Uh, eastern part of Iowa because it doesn't it gets cold obviously but it has a little bit it doesn't get as cold like up up north of I eighty it's 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 there's it, a difference between it huh yeah it's uh, it's funny you say that because uh, we got a boy from North Dakota in there with us and and you know he's just like two states above Iowa but you know he's showing us like wind chills of negative 16 degrees like all winter long and stuff up there and i'm like oh my gosh like that's unreal oh yeah I, could, I couldn't do that 
their season starts in August, like right before Labor Day, because it gets so cold so rapidly. There's but there's guys sure. out there that will hunt those late season muzzleloader and shotgun and stuff, and they'll go out there and they'll put gear down. But you don't hear as many big bucks because of that harsh cold, because it's right. it's there's nothing up there to really hold them down. Because between Fargo and the other side of the state, there's not much in there except for um, vast amount of oil fields and such. And that's it. I used to, my neighbors here, they used to work up there and deal with uh, that area up there. And it's like, it's just cold and windy. And, and it's just, that's what really gets you is that cold. It just cuts you straight through. Yeah. And he'll post pictures. Uh, you know, he'll go out and hunt and he don't care. Like the cold doesn't stop him. Uh, but he's right out there. And I mean, him and his girlfriend both killed deer with snow on the ground this year. And uh, he's putting pictures up of his, his freaking mustache just caked with ice. And uh, he's out duck hunting in sub sub degree weather, and I'm like, man, you're crazy. <laughs> well, that's just you just that's what you got to do, and it's like, and those for us that know that like a lot of big bucks move to the time if they manage to survive, because uh, here certain parts here in Wisconsin, our season doesn't end until January 31st, some with Ohio, and a lot of people when it gets cold, they just stop doing it, they stop going out, and they stop hunting, and that's where you can miss some opportunities. But not, not there's only certain counties that are available to hunt that late into into the year, and it's usually ones that are uh, primarily a, a lot of uh, CWD cases because. Wisconsin is the state you don't want to mirror when it comes down to CWD, but I always think that's just a, a publication of anti because there's no there's no confirmed transmissions of CWD from human to to de- from deer to human. So I've always found it as an anti tactic to get people feared about eating it, and those who that that understand it know it's just fear mongering and it's not really anything to worry about because we CWD is what. A lot of folks don't understand is that we went through a massive market hunting period after the Civil War. So, like the numbers we have now are because of the sacrifices of our fathers and our great grandpas that that grew up during World War One, World War Two. My dad was born in '53, so right after World War Two. So those guys that uh, between World War One until now, those guys sacrificed all those years of hunting to give us what we have. But that could be just a simple byproduct of it. You can't cure it can't do anything to stop it it's just one of those things and but the biggest thing is like well what causes it type scenario and uh, there's certain areas around here that people worry about droughts but it's like i'm looking at the mississippi right now and that thing is flooded it is high last year we were extremely low but we've got um, a lot of rain that's come through and this must have had some really high amount of rainfalls up north to, to make the life down here a little bit better yeah i agree 100 percent yeah, because you must have, you, uh, uh, when you drove through on Friday this week, you must have ran into some, to some rain. Or when, when did you come out to Ohio this weekend? Uh, I think I may have hit some rain. We got rain today, for sure. Um, but I don't think, I, I don't, I think the rain might have missed where I was at. I was southeast. I think the rain might have went north. Yeah, that may be the case, too. Yeah, that's, it's weird on how Ohio works because you got the Great Lake effect. And it's like, if you're down far enough south, it's like you don't necessarily get some of the after effects of that nastiness. Yeah, um, I, yeah, you're, you hit the nail on the head with that. Uh, rain on the Ohio River, too. I'm only about 20 miles off the Ohio River. Mm-hmm. So I think that has a lot of, a lot of play in it, too. Mm-hmm. So out there in Maryland, like, do you guys have, do you guys produce big bucks out there? Like I'm talking, Maryland, like, Maryland is a sleeper state, man. Um, a lot of people don't think about Maryland, um, but we have giants. I mean, there's, it's nothing for 
I don't know, a good handful of guys from my area to put down 150, 60, 70, 80 inch deer every year consistently. Well, that's not bad. Uh, that's visually really, now. Um, I should rephrase my question. Like, uh, when it comes into body mass, like, do you guys produce those 250, 300 pound deer? Um, so there, there's a handful of guys that that are able to get their deer to that size. Um, very, very few get to do that. Um, a lot, a lot of it has to play into years and years of feeding these deer with the protein pellets and allowing them to walk and to grow and to just mature um it's it's something that i'm learning as well i didn't tag out in maryland last year at all okay Uh, i I missed opening day um i let two 150 inch walk that were young they were like three and a half four i got all that on camera but i i've been watching these two guys that are right in my same town and they just let deer walk and they give them an extra year or two. And then by the time they, they hit that six, seven-year-old mark, they, it, 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 it's night and day. They're every bit of 250 pounds, 270, um, with no problem. It's just that so many people are not giving the deer these birthdays that they deserve. And, you know, a three-year-old, a four-year-old gets shot because it's a 130-inch eight-point or 140-inch ten-point. Um, and they, you know, they... They shoot it because, you know, um, they do it for the for the camera now. Everybody wants to be, you know, oh, I got a buck. But nobody wants to let that deer walk there. You know, everybody wants to say, oh, well, my neighbor's going to shoot it or or this and that. So um, it's just hard to get those deer that big unless you got a lot of land that you can manage and to uh, keep those deer, you know, safe. Yeah, that's that's a very, very true point there. But there's just something else I learned, too, and I said that at the beginning, is everything that I do on my leases depends on what my neighbors do, too. So, like, if your neighbors are shooting little deer, then, you know, you're never going to see big bucks. Okay. Um, you know what I mean? If, if they're shooting them deer, they're never, you're never going to let them grow. So what's good about, you know, where I'm at is everybody pretty much manages and lets the deer go. Um, but then I've, I've hunted a couple other properties around me and i've learned that the people around me can't kill deer don't kill deer so i don't need to kill these deer because these other guys aren't going to kill them either so i that's why i let the the ones walk last year i'm like these guys have never killed a buck in the six years that i've been on this lease that my neighbors had and i'm like these guys you know they 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 go in they ride four wheelers they do all that stuff and they mess everything up i'm like so i'm gonna let these deer walk this year and lo and behold, end of January, all the deer that I let walk are still showing up on camera, you know, that nobody killed. And I'm like, that's exactly why I let them walk, because I knew that the people around me weren't going to kill them. Okay. Now, so, do you have like a like a simple co-op where you'd reach out to your neighbors and everybody talks to strategize? Or, or are you just kind of just guessing what you see on the camera? I don't try to talk to anybody. Um, I give as little bit of information as possible i don't communicate unless they communicate with me um i just try to keep keep quiet because i don't want people knowing what i'm doing over on my side i don't want nobody knowing um what's going on because i don't know if it's like that up where you're at but people are relentless ruthless will trespass whatever they got to do to kill a deer so i don't tell nobody nothing yeah it seems to be a common 
theme around the country. The people I've talked to down in Alabama, all the way up to New, uh, all the way up to New Mexico, it seems like everybody is just out for themselves. And it's like that unless unless you guys, unless you the, the, the farms that everybody hunts have been been are all family farms or they've all been family friends for decades where they all kind of work together as as a, as a unit. But it, those are even far in between because everybody has this sense of competition, this alpha male, this ego that they need to drive to fill their tag and stuff. And it, I, I, I'm at the point in my life where I'd just rather just put meat on the table than go after big horns. You know, I've always right. been that way. My, my dad, that's how my dad's always been. It's like if he if he shoots something that has horns, cool. But he usually just tries to fill, put meat in the freezer and they usually try to do that during during party hunts. Because that's what he a lot of he was never really a big hunter. He plus he messed up his shoulder really young um, from dealing with horses and stuff. Because he was he's so old school that they didn't have cow, they didn't have tractors. They used horse to horse drawn plows to plant everything as well. So he had a childhood accident and messed up his shoulder. So he was never able to redraw re- something back. But he always liked the means of a muzzleloader hunt. And a lot of his friends almost loaded hunted. So that's where the, that's where his draw to hunting came through. Now he's rather just fishes because it's like it's warmer. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm a, I, I like the, the chase of chasing a mature deer. Um, and I've, I've had some things happen. That I really don't want to talk about is, you know, with some livestock of mine, uh, with somebody that, that actually ended up killing some of my livestock. So it's kind of like softened my heart a little bit. Uh, but I like to like, I won't shoot a doe. Um, some people might, might be upset with me on that, but, uh, I, unless it's a big mature doe, um, I'm not going to shoot them, especially if they got babies. But, uh, my thing is, is I just want to let these deer just live the best life, the longest life possible. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like a blessing to be able to go out here and, and hunt these animals. And I feel like, you know, if we go out here and we just shoot whatever that, you know, we're, they're just out here trying to exist. And, uh, you know, if we cut their life short, you know, uh, I don't know. My heart, my heart's just got soft over the past couple of years thinking about that stuff. You know, do I want to shoot a three-year-old buck? No, I'd rather shoot five, six, seven-year-old, give him time to live his life. You know what I mean? Experience some life and then, uh, and then go after him. I can agree. I'm out there too. I had, I've had a lot of opportunities for filling doe tags, where where I hunt at in Wisconsin, I get three doe tags, and I only filled one doe tag last year because I thought she was big enough to where I thought it's like, well, she's lived a good life. She didn't have any like little yearlings following her around, so it's like, well, I'll put an arrow through her and call it good because that's what I look at too as well. And you you gain appreciation with it as as a bow, especially if it doesn't matter if you shoot them with a bow or a gun or whatever, but if you see them expire right in front of you because it's like we've all had deer that run off but the ones that sit there and expire in front of you those ones ones really like that what really sinks in mortality to you as a human being because those deer are out there 24 7 so they don't know what's going to go after them but it's one of those things where you just you make that you 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 make the right call when you do that because it's like there's always going to be a oh a blessing from that because people are going to be fed the wildlife is going to be fed up from the gut pile and such. And you go from there. Right. And, and that's what I know. It's the circle of life. Um, and uh, I, I'm always thankful when I do, when I do take a deer, and I'm grateful for it. Um, and it's, you know, it, it also comes down to population control. Um, you know, I know there's plenty of other hunters out here, but 
um, you know, for the farmers around us, you know, eating their crops and all that. And if we didn't, if we didn't take out, you know, the deer population like we do every year and harvest a lot of deer, then, you know, we'd be hitting them every time we go down the road. You know, we'd be hitting the deer every, every freaking time. So it's like a, it's like a catch 22, you know. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, we need to hunt and we need to, you know, keep the population in check. But also it's, uh, you know, these deer are just out here trying to exist and live the best life possible. So it's like, uh, I don't know, I get caught in the middle and sometimes I feel like, all right, you know, I, I'm only going to shoot something that's, you know, mature five, six, seven years old. Mm-hmm. So. As, a, as a hunter, we, we're, the areas we do hunt and we focus, that's all we can really adjust for is that area. We can't can accommodate the entire state because I only hunt 80 to maybe 120 acres and that's it between all the prop, prop public lands I use. And I can only pay attention to what they have on a particular land. So if the, if I notice there's not a lot of does running around, then I won't shoot a doe off that property. I'll move move to a different one because it's like I need that I need those does to breed. So this way there's gonna be an opportunity for more of them. So as I think as as we've grown old as as the population has dwindled, the, the hunters that we do have are more conscious of that, where they focus on the ecosystem of the deer that they have on their property to keep them healthy, to keep them reproducing. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I um, I, I just uh, I haven't seen this. And I, I I guess maybe some people have, but that that theory of a, a doe factory, um, you know, it drives off bucks, or you won't see as many bucks if you have too many does. But I I've never came across that, and and that's why I don't mind not shooting does is because I I have an experience where if I have a lot of does, I don't have any bucks. So. That's another reason I just allow the population to, to kind of sit heavy on my property. That's a good way to look at it too, as well. They say QDMA. They say two to one ratio is what they what what it, what it yields the the highest yield. But I go with what what it is because it's like you're not going to always see bucks out there when you're out there hunting. So kind of it kind of leaves you limited. At you coming from hunting on private on, on private land, you can put trail cams out there to kind of give yourself an inventory of what's all out there. I hunt public, so it's like I don't dare risk trail cameras out there because I've heard enough horror stories and trail cellular cameras are not cheap. I mean, 150 bucks, 180. That's a good chunk of money there for, especially as a, if you're, if you're a family man or if you have to take care of other, other, you have people that rely on you type scenario. Like that's a, not a cheap expenditure expenditure. Yeah. Um, you're absolutely right. Uh, I run all covert, uh, cell cams on the AT&T towers and they're like three, three twenty-five a pop. Oh yeah, and, yeah, uh, that's expensive. But I mean, my thing is, is just the the peace of mind um, that it comes with that camera and the uh, and the uh, what's the word I'm looking for um, the dependability. Uh, you know, I'm all the way in Maryland. And I'm getting pictures from Ohio, and uh, you know, I actually caught somebody trespassing. As soon as the camera came through, I called I called Mike, and he he sent DNR right down there, and we called him. And it was actually friends that we grew up with that didn't know that I had that lease and they had always hunted over there and, uh, they didn't know that I had that lease. So, you know, uh, you know, it just the peace of mind. Um, I, I feel like it, it, they're worth the money. Um, and they have GPS on it too. So even if you did have it on public, you know, you could track somebody if they took it from you. That's true. How long have you been running so, coverts? Oh, four years now. I got uh, 24 of them, I think, 
from Maryland to Ohio. Wow. And so, so what's your, how old is your oldest camera? Four years. Four um, years. Wow. The, the dependability, like I said, I might send now, now that I got so many of them, I might send two or three back a season, um, just for connectivity issues or something like that. And I mean, they'll get it and they'll email me and they'll fix them within like a week or two and they'll ship them right back. If it's under warranty, it's no cost. If it's, uh, if it's, you know, out of warranty, they, they charge me, uh, whatever the fee is, but usually no more than a hundred bucks. And I get my cameras back and it's like new. That's, that is a good point. Uh, Cause I've, I've run Moultrie for a long period of time, but some of them, I've all, I think my oldest one now is like five years old and then it finally took a crap on me. So it's like, I'm not, I'm not knocking them because they've, they've, they've done what they I wanted them to do with the harsh winters up here. So I was always wondering, cause it's like, what, cause when you're, when you're putting that kind of money into uh, that, that, cause a trail cam to a hunter is an investment. You don't tell a woman that, but it's like, that's how, the, how we look at them. And it's like, right. that's where, where you want to put your money in the right places. So it's like, if you have the money to buy the nicer stuff, then do it. And it's like, that's what, why a lot of people shy away from it because they may not know their, their group of people may not be able to follow for this. It's like, well, is that a brand that I can buy that's going to last you several years? Cause you want to make sure that uh, it's, you're going to get some longevity out of it. And that's the unique thing that, that covert does that where you can just send them off and they can repair it for you and send it back. And it's like, you're not being charged half a value of a new, new camera. Yeah, and I mean, the, their customer service is top-notch. I mean, I can call anytime, any hour of the day or whatever. They're out of Kentucky, um, and they answer the phone or they call you back, you know, and they they just do what they say they're going to do. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not bad about that any company, but I used to, like, use Walmart cameras. I'll just I'll leave it at that. And, mm-hmm. you know, after one season, they're, they're, they're broke, and you're, there you are spending another 100 bucks next year and another – hundred bucks next year, another hundred bucks next year. And, um, you know, it just, it ended up adding up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it so does. These, these cameras here, I, I just, the peace of mind, it's, it's unreal. And that it's is. a full black, it's full blackout too. And, uh, like I said, I, I can run them in Ohio down in the hollers where no one can get signal at, but my cameras get signal. That's cool. So, because I yeah. used to work construction too, it's like the same thing about buying uh, a good pair of boots. It's like you're, it's buying two, three hundred pair of boots. It's like you, they're gonna well, well worth it because you buy those, you buy the cheap ones that are gonna be the most expensive boots you ever buy because you're always buying them. Exactly. So now, with your feeder, what uh, kind of inspired you to create this feeder? Um, I actually made a homemade one. I don't want to okay. get too much detail yet. You, you can, um, we just no, kind of paint over the top of it. You don't want to go into specifics, but I'm just kind of looking at your, your inspiration because usually it's all, there's always some reason why somebody goes and makes something. Um, for me, I was tired of going out and putting out corn every week. Um, I, I was, I wanted to use, um, gosh, I'm going to give too much information. Uh, so I, I just wanted something that could hold a, a lot of capacity and I didn't have to go out every week. Okay. So, um, I'll leave it at that for right now. Uh, but yeah, I mean, my mind is, I don't know, I'm just business minded. So I'm always thinking of how can I do something that can be creative that no one else has that, you know, it's one of a kind thing and how can I make a dollar off of it? Valid. So, Yeah. And there is nothing out there like it. I mean, I'm not trying to brag or be ignorant or arrogant. 
Um, but once once it hits the market, I feel like people are going to be like, wow, why was this not thought of sooner type of thing? Because for me, it was like a no brainer. Like, I'm like, this is this is going to be a hit. That's so, cool. It's kind of like yeah. dealing what I talked to Armando with the bow hitch and I talked to uh, David with the bow spider. Bows have been around since the 80s, but nobody's ever thought about putting, uh, creating a high end or a, a high structured or over engineered uh, hardened plastic for your hip or for your backpack or with Armando with bow hitch, but creating a piece of metal and mounting it to your, your site and then it hooks to your, your, um, your strap. I mean, I, we've seen the ones that go around both your cams, but those become, become kind of cumbersome and they're not easy to remove rapidly. So it's a the what the, these two right here they're easy to remove off your off your person and be in full draw with a matter of seconds with least amount of movement. And that's the whole process. And kind of like uh, when I and I also talked to um, Paul Otten from Advanced Outdoor Technologies, he created a release aid mount for the mounts on your stabilizer or or on your site wherever wherever makes sense for the site. Nope, it's releases release our handheld releases have been around. For a long time and nobody's thought of this up until last week. so it's amazing like these last couple of years like covid really created a lot of inspiration allowed for people to focus on like well this is my hobby can i make something to make my my life better but then can then can i virtually turn this eventually turn this into a profit that's exactly what happened with me exactly so that was my that was my mindset on this i'm like let me you know this is gonna make it easier on me if i make this and then once i did it i'm like holy cow Right. And then, uh, you know, I, I obviously made some changes and that's another reason I did it. It's like, all right, I had an idea in my mind, but I need to make it, you know, homemade and see if it works or what would I change or how could I make this any better? And, uh, you know, that's, that's what I ended up doing was what seeing what worked, what I needed to improve. And, um, like I said, the, uh, the engineers are working on the molds and stuff now. And, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I would think within the next couple of months, we should be in production. Sweet. The biggest thing is keeping it stateside because what we've learned with everything being shipped from Taiwan or, the, or, or from Taiwan, uh, Philippines, some of like that, especially in the archery world, a lot of a lot of archery products come from that area. And uh, people know that I, I really promote VIP archery out of Texas. And since all of their products are all of their materials are sourced in the United States, they didn't have any side effects to the pandemic. Like they, they, they actually, because of the, the, the demand of inserts being shipped from, I think they come out of Korea, I believe, or the, or Thailand, because they're all stuck on ships and they're, and they're tougher to get to the, to these, the, the dealers and stuff like that. He was able to, uh, Matt feared, Matt was able to create an insert that you could destroy the arrow, pull the insert out, put it in a new arrow and you're ready to rock and roll. That's how, that's what he designed it for. And everything's made and sourced in America. So this way they're able to get from the factory to the dealership much faster yeah um and it will be made in america um i mean i got it it's gonna have to be uh roto molded um that it, so like the mass production is not gonna it's gonna take some time when you anytime you got a roto mold it's all new to me um too so like roto molded like i don't know it, the, the plastic's melted and it sits here and it like makes rotations and orbits and the the plastic has to like make its way through this mold, so it takes a lot of time. So like you can only make about two, two or three per hour off one mold. 
And those bolts are not cheap. Those are like uh, when I was talking to Paul Otten, the one mold for him cost him twenty grand, and that's just to put, was, for a hold of release. Yeah, and for the size that I'm doing, they told me it was going to be be around thirty. Yeah, they're, they're, those molds are not cheap. But once you get enough of them, that's where you see that that's where your price point drops and everything. That's so it's like it's a lot of upfront cost. But you know, you're you're diversifying really well, and it's like if you are saying that it's going to deliver something that it's unheard of on the market, man, it's like that's going to be freaking sweet. It, yeah, it is, and uh, I, I, I'm probably going to try and get a patent on it as well. Oh yes, um, do that immediately. Otherwise, you, somebody will steal your idea. Like before, oh, I, before I, these guys put their stuff on, like uh, bow spider, bow hitch. These guys all have all had patent patent pending before they even talk about their idea on on the interwebs and stuff like that. They want to get everything, all this stuff locked down. It's not cheap to get a, a patent lawyer. Yeah, I've already talked to one out of Pennsylvania. One of my buddies had used him for a dog collar. Um, so I've got that in the works. I've got everything in the works. Good. And it's like you said, though. It's like money, money, money. It just keeps going out. Mm-hmm. So you got to put out all this money before you ever see the the return on it. Oh, yeah. that's. Uh, my, I have a friend of mine, uh, Zach New. He runs Native Sense out of Alabama and said, the only way you become a millionaire in the hunting world is you already have to be a millionaire. It's like, that is so true. That is, yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I mean, and, and it's the truth, you know, people, people with money will always have money type of thing, you know, it ta- and it takes money to, to make money. Um, I, 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 you know what I mean? Like my business that I have now, I'm just taking that money to make more money by diversifying. Yeah, leveraging that stuff because what was it? Uh, Jeff Bezos uh, was at, uh, during an interview. Was a, this is a secondhand interview that I heard from? It was something I, I just literally heard before we hopped on here. And he was saying that he had a chance to sit down with Warren Buffett and jo- Jeff Bezos. And the guy asked Jeff Bezos, "What is the best um, advice Warren Buffett ever gave you?" And it's and because and, and he was talking about like. And he ends up like Warren Buffett's investment strategy, and basically then like Warren Buffett chimes in, it's like it's so simple and like how he invests and how he's able to make so much money, but nobody wants to get rich slow. And I think he, ha- I think that's very solid advice for anybody that's trying to diversify is that it, it just be patient with everything and, and just pay attention to how he, he's, he figured out how to make money, make money for him while he's sleeping. Cause if you don't figure out how to make money while you're sleeping, you'll always be broke. Yep. And that's exactly why I want to do this deer feeder. You know, I, I literally don't have to do anything but shipping. Um, everything else is take, taken care of for me, but uh, also the, the mini storage. Um, it would be 100% employee free besides, you know, a cleanup man once a week going in and, and you know, doing maintenance work and stuff like that. So um, that's exactly what I'm trying to do is figure out stuff. How can I be making money that isn't going to, that I don't need employees and I don't need a lot of my time to do it. Mm-hmm. Even I even, when I mentioned to people about crypto and such, you just follow the ISO um, 222. There's like, there's a big five and it's pretty, pretty much backed by the world economic forum. And it's like, if you put like right now, all those coins are in between 10 to 30 cents a piece. You buy like a thousand of them and just hold on for 10 years. And all of a sudden you open it up again. It's like, Oh, this is Bitcoin money now. Yeah, I have no clue about any of that, um, and I, I'm not a, a gambler. I'm not. A, I don't do the lottery. Uh, I don't bet. Um, I I don't know. It's just something about me. I'd rather 
know that the money that I have is guaranteed to stay in my hands, whether it can make me more or or not, I'd rather, you know, not even take those risks. I get it. What's going on right now is like the, the, the World Economic Forum was created in 1971. That was also the year we pulled ourselves off the the they pulled the US dollar off gold back being backed by gold. And so Klaus Schwab has written a book called the COVID-19 for the Great Reset. And what that's what all the powers that be are trying to go through. We're going to be moving to a, a central bank digital currency. And what they'll translate to will be that they that uh, they'll be able to go in and they don't like who you are, if they don't like what you're spending your money on, they can literally shut you down. They can cut they can cut you off. So it's going to be an interesting outlook what's going to happen during our lifetimes and how we're go- what's going to be manipulated in the situation because there's even theories that uh, the Saudi Saudi Arabia might be backing oil with the yuan with the China. So I'm not quite sure what all that's going to land either. Well, it's funny you say that because I mean, um, I-, I was just having an argument with a bank the other day. Is uh, I took some I took a cashier's check from a customer. That I mean, a cashier's check means it's a confirmed that there's that amount in his bank account. And it can be cashed at his bank. And it was like 40 grand. And they told me, well, I can't give you that kind of money. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, we can't give you that kind of money. And we have to order it. So, you know, nowadays, like banks aren't even keeping money on there. Let's say you got a quarter million dollars in the bank. You can't go get it out Mm -hmm. unless you're dealing with like a a large, large bank that keeps large, large amounts of the money in there. So that, that scares me with what you're saying. Because oh, yeah. I'm like, I got all this money in there, and at some point it can just be yanked, and there's nothing we can do about it. It could just disappear out of our accounts like, like a snap of a finger, and there's nothing that nobody's ever going to be able to do. Yeah, that's it's specifically designed that way. Uh, the, the 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 banking cartels, which which kind of run everything. If you watched uh, the world or the if you watched uh, like Game of Thrones, like when they had to go and get money and stuff like that, that's how it does it. They and I think there was either 2016 or 2018. There was some legislation passed where they're not required by law to have that kind of cash on hand because everything's all digital. Everything can be shut off. If we have an EMP blast in America, you need to get your money up. You're fucked. You, you're, yeah. you're, you're going to have to have ammunition to barter. That's exactly what it is. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it upset me. I mean, mm-hmm. when I when I learned that, and then I went to my other bank, like my personal bank, they're like, no, you have to order it. And then yep. I started up with this other small business bank that's supposed to be really good, and they're like, no, we can't give it to you either. Yep. And I'm it, like, so you really have to be one of those really large banks in order to get any kind of lump sum out. And what's that? That's the worst part about it. You know, that's very scary. Because it's like, I've, uh, I don't know if you have TikTok or YouTube and how you pay Like, there's people out there that with Sarah coding, like do that stuff or do modification, like doing um, uh, laser, like fiberware and, or uh, fiber laser work on guns and stuff like that. Well, if, if you if you use like Venmo or PayPal, they'll shut your accounts down and they'll keep your money. And then you have to fight to get your money back. That's why if you use any of those type of services, as soon as that money hits your account, you want to be getting it out of there because the, it, there, there's going to be a massive lawsuit because of that. Right. That money yeah, is just not because they're not backed by the FDIC. They're not backed by the FDIC. And the reason why we haven't gone fully digital currency right now is because of uh, credit unions, because they're, they're, they're a little archaic in their ways. But that's the only reason why we're able to stay where we're at, because I think it was a Bank of America owns like a hundred and some different current uh, cryptocurrency patents on there. So it's we're, we're moving toward triple. We're moving towards cryptocurrency. It's just we don't know which ones are going to survive 
the the wipeout because there's like 99 percent of them will be wiped out right so it's like that's why people when people are investing in dogecoin or shiba emu it's like those are the ones those are the, those are the ones you want to just put like with a really really cheap put a little bit of money in there if they if they if they go parabolic you pull your money out you make your money back and then you dump it back into, into something else but we've also here two weeks ago there's stable coins out that they're supposed to be backed by the U.S. dollars, and they actually drop below that. Like there's some places that lost billions of dollars, and it's all done on purpose. It's all being run by the cartels, and that's the worst part about it. I mean, it's like I, I, was, I had um, my buddy Brady on here. We talked about cryptocurrency and how it could actually be a very positive impact for the outdoor world because it's like if you can, if it's because it's decentralized, they don't have. The World Economic Forum determining what they do every how they how they manage their funds and how they print money to oblivion and stuff. Because if 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 you're really a historian, you'd be paying attention. Like right now, we're going through what Nazi Germany did: produced a whole bunch of money, uh, made it so valueless that it's like they're able to manipulate a whole bunch of people into going into World War Two. And people, there's 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 theories, different theories on that. But we've been in World War Three since the end of World War Two. Because they recognize that people won't uh, bow to force. They'll bow to economic manipulation. Wow, I never thought about it like that. Yeah, because it's like right now most of all the food processing is all owned by Monsanto or John Deere or DeKalb or any of those different things. So those farmers don't own any of their seeds anymore. I think there's like less than 10% of farmers that own everything. And then we have uh, Bill Gates coming in and buying up 249,000 acres. And you have a bunch of other big billionaires that have bought a whole bunch of land up because it all stems back to Agenda 21. And for those who think that they haven't thought of this, they've been figuring this stuff out since the 80s. Like when Agenda 21 came out, what was a Davos thing back in 1991, 1992? They did it down in Argentina or something like that, in uh, in uh, South America, but it's basically what they want to do is they want to drive everybody off the land and move them into into controllable prisons, which will be our cities, because that's where we have the the, the highest amount of crime, but also the highest amount of police officers and the FBI and the IRS offices and stuff like that. It's very dark what we're going through right now, but it's it's just a matrix. Things are going to reset. It's just going to be bad when it does. Wow. So it's like when those people have kids nowadays, like they're. Uh, that I feel bad for the mothers that can't produce breast milk because that's what that's what the current um, uh, distraction is because of two thousand mules that came out here disclosing. I can't say the e word on um, my platforms because I, I we've I've been polled so I can't say that I can't say that word. But we all know what we're talking about. Yep. So, anyways, man, I'm really excited about what you have on your plate. I'm I'm I'm, I'm glad you were able to finally get you on here because we talked about a lot of unique topics, and I'm really excited to. To once you have your product hit the market, I want to have you back on. Hopefully, we we can set you up where you're at home, and we can you can actually take your phone and and show me or your laptop because that's what I did with um, Paul Otten. He brought a whole bunch of his different rigs and stuff like that, and he he showed me each one like what how they all varied and different. And I think that's really thing to do because I do have the the YouTube channel right now. Yeah, I would absolutely do that. I want to get as much exposure as possible. Um, like I said, I want to get this going now because, you know, um, the, the states that can feed, uh, you know, people like people don't do it year round. But when, you know, deer season, August rolls around, everybody wants to start putting their feeders out, get stuff squared away. Um, so I'm trying to make sure that I have enough exposure, you know, then to at least have a good jump start to this upcoming season. 
Yeah, yeah, because this way they can use those numbers and stuff like that, and use trail camera pictures to to definitely show how everything works out. And if you're able to get your feeders out when the kids, when the when the the, the fawns are so young, because like that's how you're really gonna get the the return on investment is getting those fawns used to feeding off of those because it's just kind of like a uh, an automatic feeder for cattle and such when they're in the big um, cattle farms and such, uh, or how they're being milked and stuff. Like, I've watched some some very interesting TikToks and YouTubes about how the cattle are when it comes down to big dairy farms they're pretty much they when they're ready to milk they just kind of walk up and get hooked up and they just leave and they go it's very very hands-off because of technology and how efficient it's been because they create a reward system they get they, and the funny thing is like for the, the cow is just like oh this tastes good but as a farmer that that nutrients they're putting into them helps replenish their their what they just released and help them maintain a healthy balance and healthy lifestyle. And it's like the way calving and, and everything has changed in the last 30 years is just remarkable. And now we have a lot of people that just want to talk about something they don't know. And that's where the, the, the disconnect is coming. But that's the system working though. Like when it comes down to the education system, it's working perfectly fine. It's where people say the system's broken. It's like, no, it's not. It's working like it, like it should. It's designed to create employees that do not challenge authority. Right. For us, like you and I, we 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 broke we we broke free of the matrix. We started learning about money. We learned how to leverage money, and now it's like we're 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 able to t- t- talk about investments stuff like that with people because that's how you really grow. It's like being able to talk to people. It's like, hey, TJ, what you investing right now? It's like, oh, I'm doing this right now. It's like, hey, well, I got ten grand sitting right now. Like, I want to I want to invest in this in whatever project you're doing. Let's do that. Right, and that's where that's how you, that, that's how you build the network. Yeah, and you're you're right on that. So I mean, a lot of a lot of big timers they didn't do it by themselves. They've got silent partners, or they you know they've got partners that are in there with them. Um, I I think I'm going to be a little bit different. If I can't do it solo, then I don't want to do it, just because I know how uh, how ugly it can get for having you know a business partner and such. So mm-hmm. I I just don't want I just don't want to put my livelihood in the hands of somebody else and try and trust them. Yeah. That's where it's like, if I was able to, to like contribute money to TJ, it's like, I'll just be an angel investor. It's like, soon as like pay me when you, when you hit X amount and then that will, if that can buy you an extra mold or get you close to an extra mold, like fucking let's do it, Bo. Let's do it, brother. Right. Cause that's like, uh-huh. I, cause with the way shark tank has, has really shown people how to really like negotiate deals and stuff like that. It's like, you can have a lot of fun with it. It just like, you have to be on the same page about negotiating how you can get that money back. Cause it's like, this is how we're going to do it. But you know, people want that proof of concept. Yep. I agree. Man, we've talked a lot about a, a lot of cool stuff. Is there anything that we missed? Cause I know you, you got a lot going on. We, cause we, it's like, Oh, we even talked about your buck that you shot on Jan on, on January 31st, the last day of Ohio season. Tell me about that story, man. Let's break that thing down. Oh man. Um, that was a hunt I'll never forget. Uh, so the, my neighbor, and that's why I don't talk, because I let all my neighbors talk. Um, he he had sent me some trail cam photos. He's like, "Hey, my buck's disappeared." He called it his buck, but uh, <laughs> and it ended up being mine. He's like, he said a couple bucks disappeared. You seen them? And uh, I actually had said no to him at that time, and then about a day later, it showed up on my camera, and uh, I I had sent it to him, and I said, "Is this the one you're talking about?" He's like, "Yeah." He said, me and the other neighbor, we said we're going to let it walk um, and let it go another year. And I said, all right, I'll do the same thing. Um, but January 31st, I seen that deer 
Uh, and I was like, there's no way in the world I'm going to let him walk. And, um, <laughs> and it was, it was just funny how it all played out. Um, and there was snow on the ground. I went in two days before I, I, I took a long weekend hunt and, uh, there's snow on the ground. I go up there and I see like, there's like four trails that just bottleneck. So I went ahead and I hung this, this stand and, um, I was real cold that night. It, like I said, it just got done snowing and stuff. And I sat down. I usually never sit down. I'm always standing up, like leaning against a tree so that I can be ready to, you know, grab my bow and shoot. And I ain't got to stand up. Well, I sat down about like a half hour before dark. And I, I just happened to look up at this ridge. And, uh, and I just see Brown coming, coming across this big hillside. And I grabbed the binoculars. And um, as soon as I glassed him, I was like, dang, that's a nice deer. And then he kept getting closer. And I was like, oh, gosh, that's drop time. And then I was like, man, we, I said I wasn't going to shoot him. And then he kept getting closer and closer. And I, and I kept putting the binoculars on him. I was like, there's no way in the world I can let this deer walk. And uh, sure enough, I went ahead and grabbed the bow. And uh, Mikey's got the footage. He's done made a video on it. And uh, I hit the play on the camera button and got camera set up. And uh, 42 yards, I, I got him. I grunted at him and he stopped. And uh, what seemed like forever, which was forever, I drew back. And I, I guarantee it was every bit of 30, 40 seconds before I released that arrow. And uh, shot all the way across that field, 42 yards. And I hit him a little far back. And uh, I could tell he was hurt. I watched him run off. He stopped about 100 yards away. And he just stood there for like five minutes uh, with his head down. And uh, hold on one second, I'm driving. Uh, stood there with his head down. And, uh, he wouldn't really move. He would just stand in one spot for like five or 10 minutes. And then, uh, he would take like a couple steps and then he would just stand there. And then eventually I watched him walk off and walk up the hill and do the same exact thing. And, uh, I went ahead and got on down and got out of there. And I just came back the next morning and I found like five or six bedded, bedded areas within like a 20, 20 yard area where he had gotten up and laid down and gotten up and laid down. And, uh, he was still warm that next morning uh, when I found him. So it took him about 13 hours to expire. So it was, uh, it was a good hunt. Yeah. The, 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 the God bless you on that one, man. He put everything right in the right, uh, um, all the stars aligned essentially everything went to work together for you and so you were patient you didn't push them at least at least to do what you just told me you don't have any coyotes in the land so that's even better that yeah on that property there but what what was kind of ironic or whatever about that whole hunt was like on my way to ohio i always show on like youtube and i just watch random videos on hunting and stuff like that well a video had popped up i wasn't even searching for it about how to how to track a wounded deer and okay. it, exactly what had happened with, you know, with my bad shot where I hit him back, it was, uh, you know, I, it wasn't a gut shot. Yeah, I guess it was a gut shot, but it made its way on, on through to the, to the vitals. Um, but no, I just watched the video and then that night, you know, that happened. And then I feel like if I wouldn't have watched that video that I may have pushed him and, uh, you know, it just all worked itself out. But the thing was, you know, January 31st, you know, the last day of season. Um, yeah, it just, I hadn't killed a deer all year and it just happened, you know, at the last light. 
So that's uh, you know, that's one of the ones that's going to be a memory forever for me. Man, that is just a beautiful story. I'm, I, I'm, uh, did you? When do you expect to get his the uh, the mount back? So Maryland, I, I it it takes guys like a year or two to get them back to you. So I sent this one off to uh, Rick Halverson out at Rubline Taxidermy out in Iowa. Um, so he's he's still working on it, but I would think that he'd have it back to me, you know, sometime in the next month or two. Oh, okay, very nice. Uh, so, that's not too bad. That's that's a quick quick return on my the the buck I have behind me. I got him back within six months, which was a pretty good. It's, it's he's a very talented. Um, ex Mennonite that got the bug and uh, started doing taxidermy. And he became, he's, he's very, he's a sleeper in Northern Iowa over in Mitchell County. My dad knows him from growing up from, from, cause he didn't live that far from the community and such. And they just kind of kept in touch and he dropped off my, my, my mount and he set him and he's, but he's, he's got, uh, he's, he's credited doing tigers, um, pheasants, lots of birds, lots of fish, He's just a sleeper. He doesn't really advertise a whole lot, but he's that's why he's able to produce really good quality. But I'll have to send you the picture. Like my uh, reason why I pulled a tree, he's only a, a seven pointer, but it's a four on one side, three on the other side. But his neck was just so big. I mean, it took me 30 minutes to get him within 26 hours, 26 yards, double lunged him, piled up 40 yards, but I had to come back the next day. Right. Because he jumped on somebody else's property, it's like, well, I'm coming back tomorrow morning, and that's when I when I when I found him. It's like he the coyotes got to him, but I was able to salvage a lot of his meat. Wow, but dude, man, yeah, uh, I, yeah. I still haven't even got my 2020 deer back yet. I oh. had uh, I had I had a good friend of mine. I was doing all my taxidermy work, but he was also a butcher, so he would butcher, you know, during deer season, do taxidermy after deer season and stuff, but. Uh, I had paid him in full for all three mounts from 2020 and, and then, uh, you know, come, come mount season. And I mean, most, most of those deer came from, or two of them, I came from opening week in September. So I know I should have been first on his list and he started pumping out other deer from, you know, from other guys and stuff before mine. So me and him had a falling out and I've taken it to another guy. The other guys had it for over a year now and he ain't got it back to me either. So that's the unique thing. It's like, it's, it's frustrating when, when tax don't hold their word because there's no governing body to, to, to hold these guys accountable. But then do we really want to get the government into taxidermy? Cause I don't really want that, but it's just, that's just how the work goes. It's like word of mouth can destroy a business rather rapidly. Yeah. I mean, my thing is, is, uh, I, I if Rick, if Rick can, I don't know how many dairy does a year, but, um, if Rick can work a full-time job and then pump out 150, 200 mounts a year as well, then these guys that do it full-time, there's no excuse why you can't get this done in a timely manner. Wow. So where's Rick out of then in Iowa? He's, I could not tell you, um, could not tell you. Okay. I don't know exact town. I did send my mount there, but I don't remember what, uh, what city he was in. I got you. There's a there's a, a pretty renowned uh, uh, taxidermist here in Wisconsin named Steve. I can never pronounce his last name, so I ain't gonna do it. But he produces some these beautiful. He just got done doing a wolf mount. I shared it on my Facebook page, and it is absolutely stunning. This guy does everything from 
from bears to elk to giraffes. I mean, he's got in his hands on a whole bunch of plethora of different uh, animals to be able to mount. And it's like he cranks them. He, he, he gives you a deadline. He he hits his mark. He's been doing it for 20 some years. So it's like he he produces a lot of awesome mounts. He's He's got a big like he's uh, he's got a passion for cats. Like big, like links and 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 uh, mountain lions and stuff like that. And like if I ever, if I ever get myself a, a position to get a bobcat or something like that or links, he's I'm that the guy I'm setting it to because it's like I've seen his work and it's absolutely beautiful. Right. So, all right, TJ, man, we that that was a really riveting story that how everything just came together and you were able to cap, capitalize on it. Did you ever get his dressed weight? Did you ever find out how big he was? He wasn't a big deer. Um, he wasn't, and I, and I, I felt bad for shooting him afterwards. I'm not gonna say I felt bad. I don't, I don't regret it. Um, but it was a learning lesson. Um, so I was thinking that you know his his rack was freaking huge, but his body was small. And that's another thing about watching videos on YouTube. You start listening to all this stuff, and you don't know which way to go. So I was thinking, well, it was late season. It's January 31st. He's, you know, he's rutted out. He's lost all this weight. Maybe that's why his body is small, but he was just a young deer. He was only three and a half. Wow. And yeah. Um, and if I, if you, if I, then that was another thing, you know, that's why I want to let these deer go five, six, seven years. Cause he just had so much potential. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he, he probably wasn't, uh, I don't know. He probably won 180, 190. Wasn't, wasn't a monster by any means. Yeah. Yeah, so, so he probably would probably what I think he probably would dressed out with one thirty, one forty. So that's still a good. That's still a good chunk of my meat. Yeah, um, yeah. But like I said, I just uh, you know I watched, I listened to these videos and stuff, and and uh, I was just thinking, you know, if his rack was that big, he must be you know uh, uh, an old deer, a mature deer, um, and his body's just small because it's the end of season, and you know what I mean. It's it's winter, and he's you know he's not got the best food and all that, but. That wasn't that wasn't the case at all. He was mm-hmm. just a young deer. Yeah, I get you. I know what you mean. What, the reason why I pulled the trigger on mine is his neck. He was just it was just like when I looked at his neck and how big it was. It's like I because I, I encountered him the year before. I call him Captain Hook because it's like I I had a my first encounter was he was a three by two, and the following where where I hunted at it re- required a minimum of four points on one side. And my listeners have heard this story more than once, but it was just like that neck. It just like all I can think of is like the, he's going to have some delicious roast. And I cooked up his neck here last two years ago. No, it was last year. Cooked up his neck for my dad's birthday. I had it uh, marinated for over a week in some barbecue sauce, threw it up in low and slow. Oh, my God, it was delicious. The neck roast, very underrated. But if you do it right and you and you have the right amount of mixture with barbecue sauce and a little bit of citrus, and it's just low and slow is the way to go. Wow. That's All right, awesome. sir. Because you you like yeah. you like smoking and stuff, right? And, and oh, barbecue. Yeah. yeah, I like yeah. To, I like to experiment a lot of that stuff. I've I've just been blessed with a, with a a natural uh, curiosity of working with foods, and it's my closest work with chemistry and science that I I could I could just churn out something good. It just seems to work. They're happy mistakes. Like majority of my stuff I put together, I was like let's put this together and this together. Let's see what happens. It's like, and I have no leftovers. So it looks like I did a good job. Yeah. All right then, TJ man. This was a fun conversation, dude. I we hit. I I was. I finally got the the list of the full story here. 
if there's, if there's any, is there anything else we missed that you wanted to talk about or I just want to circle back one last time? No, um, no, I think we're good. I mean, it, it did make for an easy drive. I mean, we've been talking, I don't know, almost a couple hours, I think. Yeah, a little over an hour and a half. So yeah, but about two hours because we do that yeah. the preamble of everything. So, yeah. So we're good. And like I said, if, uh, you want me to reach out to those boys from buck fever and you get them on here and they can talk about some product and you know maybe uh you know you know go over some seed blends and the full potential and the boost that he's got um mm-hmm. you know that that would be good for him and, and and everybody let's do it man reach out to him start a three-way conversation on instagram let's do it because the cool thing is, is like i have a, a a good dear friend of mine that lives out in southern iowa so i literally drive within like 20 minutes of where the what Calfax is, the Calfax in Iowa is. So it's like yeah. it wouldn't be much for me to just like let's go over here and burn a couple hours. How far are you from there? Uh, from from where I'm at right now to there, it's roughly uh, two or three hours, depending on how fast I drive and what oh, route I take to. Yeah, that's not bad at all. No, it really isn't. I was. It's like you can get from I can get to Lacrosse to the south side of Iowa with under six hours. Okay. That's pretty much right at the Missouri border because I used to live right off the, the Missouri border. So I have friends all the way down there because it's not that big of a deal for me. And plus, it's really pretty driving. I drive When you drive on the east side, when you're driving down the Mississippi, it is just beautiful territory. It just going through the going through the driftless area is not only just in Wisconsin, but it's also in Iowa, too. Huh. That's pretty cool. All right, sir. TJ, thank you for coming on the podcast, man. Uh, how can people find you on the interweb? Um, I'm trying to think what my Insta is. I think it's tj.johnson.524 on also Facebook, TJ Johnson. Um, I don't share too much on Facebook because I'm a lot of friends with my neighbors and stuff, so I don't let them know what moves I'm making. My Insta is the best way to pretty much uh, you know follow me and see what I'm doing in the hunting world. Then, yep. And then on top of the two, you got the the Appalachian Chase YouTube channel, which uh, will be posted in the show notes. So this way, people can do it. And if you need to go back and listen, go find uh, Mike's episodes too. Those are on there as well. And if you watch Mike's nice interview on the YouTube, I I have a little um, oh overlay for so you can go to their channel and you can check out their material as well. So this way, I'm always cross promoting. That's if you have a YouTube channel, it's going to be in the podcast. Yep, that and, you know, um, we got the Appalachian Chase uh, Instagram and uh, Buck Fever Seed Company Instagram as well. So, Amen, guys. Well, thank you, TJ, for coming on the podcast. Drive safe. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you.